the theme for the uh, afternoon talk is the quest for freedom. And as uh, human beings living our life on this earth, we are making individually and collectively a rather remarkable journey through the uh, field of existence. And we notice in this movement again and again that the movement mirrors and reveals and reflects the arising, the staying, and passing, fading of experiences which in turn then give rise to another sequence of rising and staying and uh, passing of experiences. And those formations from our past, our history, our background, our DNA, our childhood, our educators and much more can give to us, perhaps impose upon us, some of the uh, values which reflect their life, their upbringing and their background. And as we know, there can be the intention to impose their way of life upon us. And some of us here in the hall and uh, elsewhere have looked at that and perhaps we've had enough clarity within us to recognise from our history, from our background and society what we appreciate what we are grateful for, what has really given us support and also had the clarity as well to recognise what we don't wish to be identified with, don't wish to follow through and wish to find something else. And that awareness and recognition may be for some quite gradual a gradual movement away from the old which is unsatisfactory and a wish to retain that which is healthy and satisfactory. And for some it can be quite dramatic, a sudden waking up rather than a gradual one. And in both cases it's an indication that you and I have the capacity and it's a great one to change. Change it may be gradual, change it may be sudden, but change it is. And authentic change applied by a human being is a break away from the old. And sometimes even that which falls under the category quote-unquote good and which we can acknowledge and appreciate but sometimes as well we need to be, so to speak, out of the shadows of the good and, some, and find ways to find out what this life is about. That then can spark inside us as human, human beings a fresh activity. It could be and regularly has, particularly in the ancient traditions of uh, India and the Buddha Dharma, this threefold relationship of the seeker, the seeking, and the sought there. And even this is not always so easy. And what I mean by that, for some, there is the emergence of the seeker. I want to find out. I want to know more. There has to be more to life. I want to go deep. I want to see what matters. What is of value? What is love? Is there a God? Is there an authentic reality to discover? What is truth? What is liberation? What is awakening? Many, many languages. And that interest in that triggering and sparking the seeker when the seeker is authentic 
it generates an activity called seeking. For some, that, and there's some of you know yourself, that initial seeking that's going on is may be may start with reading. It's a common one. One starts to read about spirituality, psychology, Eastern, Western traditions, mysticism, religious events, and much, much more. And this gives some nourishment to the seeking process. But many, perhaps most, and hopefully all, find it rather unsatisfactory to be entirely engaged in the seeking process through information and thought. There is something not fulfilling about it, that our mind, seeking to learn, seeking to understand, through reading, maybe through listening, that something is not nourishing, it it doesn't fulfill the being there. And that there is a sense that in that avenue of seeking, one may have some thought about the sort, truth, love, reality, God, whatever language we feel appropriate. But it, the thought, the seeker, the seeking, and then the thought of the sort as the end. And when that dissatisfaction for some people, some of us here, gets stronger, one knows, senses, that the books are not the answer to the seeking. They are a support, a precious reminder, can provide insight, but one is saying to oneself, there has to be something deeper than the book, than the literature. No matter how sacred, ancient or contemporary the language might be. There are others here in the hall and elsewhere and it is to check with ourselves. I may see the limits of the old, my job, my career, my lifestyle, my background, my history. I sense there is some kind of exploration and seeking which is taking place but I put my hand on heart a person might say and say actually right now at this point in my life I cannot name that which I'm seeking for I know there is a quest I know there is an exploration there is an adventure in life going on I feel open and receptive But hand on heart, I have no idea where it will lead. And why should you? Why should you have a name for the end of the process? Why should you or I have uh, have any description? And if you have, why shouldn't you have? Why not? So in other words, in the spirit of the seeker, the seeking and the sought... For some, it may be with a language which refers to the end, the consummation. I may not know if there is an end. I may not know if what the saints and the sages and the wise and the Buddhas um, have said is true or not, because I... I'm using the I in the collective here because I don't have any experience of it. And another, checking in with ourselves, say, all I can say is, I'm not sure if there is an end, but I'm just keeping open the possibility of discovery and realization. There. This quest for, I can give it a name, or not a name, it's not important. This quest uh, for, as I mentioned, is genuinely 
a remarkable quest. It is an exploration and an investigation to life in which the human being is receptive to a sense there is something more than what is revealed to me at this current time. There is a sense there is something more. It's an extraordinary sense, but it's been brutally corrupted. And the big corruption of it is called materialism. It's called consumerism. It's called owning more, having more, gaining more. It's the personalization of the self and it's a, a desire, it's searching to, for acquisition, to get. It is the wish for more, but what? More of this, more stuff, more things, more money. It's a perversion of the human quest for more. And so the yogis, yogis are those who are engaged in the exploration, have said, not out of rejection of the material world, by the way, it's not an anti-life, anti-material view, but have said, if I am going to go deep in this world, deep into the field of human experience, it means that the material world, things, have to matter less. Their impact on our existence, our thoughts about, need to be reduced. So I keep alive this capacity of the deep to explore, and my God, it's not going to land on the material things. It's not going to land on more of this and that. And so if the material world has its place, you're a householder, you're a mum, you're a dad, you're, you have a job, uh, you have the things to look after at home, you've got the kids, you've got the grandkids, you're a traveller, or whatever it, uh, the roles may be, with all the responsibility one can be easily engaged in all of that. And all the material things of earning and wages and making things last, etc. But there is a knowing in the being that frankly it's all small change. And one is respectful for that, to the material world, to financial circumstances, to relationship with friends, family, parents, care, supportive for all, all of that, but something else is bigger. And this exploration is to realise and find out what that might be, with a word to it or not. Just as being on retreat is clearly a lowering of the uh, influence of the material world. And one of the participants here had the material world reduced even more significantly because the um, uh, airline lost her luggage. So it's somewhere floating around India uh, there, due here in a couple of days. And therefore it was the minimal of the minimal existence, what one was more or less dressed in uh, there. And sometimes, even in the absence of the basic basics, just what one is left dressed in, sometimes the human spirit, as I heard from the, uh, the, the good, uh, good person, actually Right now, it's okay too. It doesn't have to be, oh my God, I haven't even got a toothbrush. Oh my God, I haven't got this. I haven't got my knickers with me. Oh my God, what am I going to do? 
sometimes situations there there is the absence of and something in the feeling being intuitive life is saying it's okay I'm not talking about the poverty I'm not talking about that I'm talking about the situation that we are in so if the heart and the being is is interested and receptive in uh, that which is greater why settle for something which will fade that would be my concern so what I mean by that uh, yeah. we engage in our meditations plenty of time to see from your experience here plenty of time you are not engaged in seeking it's not like because I'm sitting here and I really want to get something I want to reach the goal I want to get somewhere and putting pressure on oneself plenty of time in the day here there isn't a construction inside of the seeker the seeking and the sought it's not constantly present in the absence uh, there the self called the seeker is not present the seeking and the sought is not present something is going on without the self understand Something. sometimes in just the meditations and the silence without any seeking something in the deep is going on I don't know what it is but something's going on in there in the deep and it's not rational it's somewhere else and sometimes it comes as a surprise to us my daughter who gets mentioned regularly on the uh, uh, on the retreats I'm a, I'm a big fan of my daughter and she went for the first time to uh, uh, Thailand uh, at the, on December the 31st because the airline tickets were cheapest on that day her son is into Thai boxing and the grandfather is into the ending of all um, conflict <laughs> He does time one, and I do my slow walking meditation. Yeah. My daughter walks into a, a monastery in Phuket, large, beautiful Thai monastery. She sees a large Buddha image, and she burst into tears. She told me, the self could not organize that. It was a shock to her. It was a bit of a shock to her father, but it was definitely a shock to her. And I said to her, as I would say to you, I said to her, what was the first thoughts after the experience that you looked up at this large, beautiful Buddha image, Buddha Rupa, Buddha image, you looked up, you walked in, looked up, and suddenly you just burst into tears, just started crying. What was the first thought? Rather a sweet one. The first thought was, I know why my father became a Buddhist monk in Thailand. Very sweet. In late April, in Germany, at the Ward House, my 37-year-old daughter just emailed me Dad, I'm just booking in to sit the first retreat with you Happy Daddy <laughs> Something And what was lovely about it I said it could be full So I texted them They said there's just two places left on the retreat There we go 
What is it in the deep that touches unexpectedly the surprise which runs through? It wasn't thought of, it wasn't planned, she had no idea, she's just visiting a temple. This from the deep is a contribution to waking up. It's a contribution to change, to something else. Perhaps with our being there is much more receptivity to that. Perhaps. And what will help in that receptivity? I'm going to put my meditation teacher's hat on here and say what will help with that with that receptivity of course meditation mindfulness interest curiosity and sometimes the movement of life in the deep giving rise to some fresh moment fresh insight So when we practice, we certainly practice to reduce the stress and the tension, the neediness and the blame, the fears and the anxieties and the doubts, because that kind of gets in the way, it inhibits. What what does it get in the way of? It gets in the way of that which is deep, which informs us. Sometimes, you and I, in this quest for freedom, we have listened to the other. And, and sometimes, even in great freedom, we need to listen to the other. And one of the, in the Buddhist world, one of the best known historical examples of this, Gautama, realizing the great values, the great issues of life. There is suffering in this world, there are causes and conditions, there's the resolution and the way. He spent some seven weeks around that place, around that tree on the edge of the village they're reflecting on this and then the thought arose who is going to understand what I have to say when so much there and then and here and now in the values system is so strong either secular culture business, family, success the the secular vision the priority or the religious one of belief and rituals and ceremonies and the sacred uh, uh, there who will understand the teaching which points to a freedom which has nothing to do with secular or religious life another kind of freedom altogether which looks at life the conditions of life sees what changes can be made and what we can realise and therefore not dependent on secularism or religionism there and it is said person Brahma came and spoke with the Buddha and said a famous one line there through the history there are people in this world with little dust in their eyes as a metaphor people in this world with little dust in their eyes there are people who are receptive and that 
speaking of a realized human being, fully realized, so we are told uh, there, gave the extra bit of confidence to make the step to raise the voice to speak about what had been realized. It was the voice of the other. And I use this as an example because I know in my life and you know in your life there may have been recently or in the past a conversation with another person and she or he said something to you which touched you deeply and it changed your life one conversation changes can change one's life and the Buddha used a strong language he said this is the voice of God Brahma so though the eyes say oh I spoke to this person and this person said something to me and it encouraged me to travel from one length of India to another to hear some teachings or to go to an ashram or to go for long solitary walks in the nature or a thousand other things. But when that voice touches the deep and it changes us and it opens up our life in this teaching, the language which is used with the Buddha here, it is the voice of God. And sometimes the voice of God comes in just a small conversation in the chai shop. It might come, albeit well, in the meditation hall. It might come from the inner. So the receptivity, using the religious language for a moment, is to find that voice internally with each other in the silence. The precious aspects of these teachings. There's quite often a dialogue I have to smile sometimes. I'll give you one or two examples in a moment. Um, between the world of form and the world of the formless. Both with their benefits and both with their limits. Uh, the Buddhist world much as I love it um, is a bit a bit heavy with the form this could be described as an English understatement and so quite often in the perception there is a lot of association with the form the form sitting cross-legged uh, the form called method and technique the form called uh, structure the form called timetable and many other forms religion has gathered these forms uh, uh, there I am I'm also offering a form, I, I do apologise, not too much, but a little bit. So there is the world of the form. Easily, with form, the self, that's the I and the my, can arise and identify with the form. And in the identification with the form, 
including here, in the identification with the form, there can be a contraction around the form. The quest for freedom is sacrificed, is lost, through the contraction, understand the word contraction? Through the identification around the form. And freedom is gone. And one is left clinging, holding and identified through the contraction around the form. Some of you have spoken in the groups. And I also, of course, have experienced myself. Sometimes we have gone to teachers and teaching, methods and techniques, we passanar and uh, other traditions. We found it helpful and beneficial, but at the end of it, some of us have attended and have felt uncomfortable because the feeling, perception is, whoa, it's so tight, it's so controlled that only do this, don't do anything else, you will get confused. You're not confused, it's the people who put this message out are confused. Because it's at the expense of the quest for freedom. And sometimes we, as human beings, are not confident in ourselves. There isn't that trust in the being. And so the voice of spiritual authority, the guru, the master, the teacher, oh, nearly mostly uh, male, oh, who am I to disagree? Who am I to know anything? Who am I to judge my experience? He, sometimes she, they must know, they've done years of practice. They, they, look how many thousands are following, following them. That They must be right. There must be only this method. Only this technique. Only this style. Only have this one teacher. They must be right. Who am I to question? Of course you have the right to question. You're a human being. That's what it means to be an adult. But sometimes we lose confidence. And our quest for freedom is lost in the name of the mechanical repetition of the same method and technique year in, year out. The same teachings, the same place, the same environment. Whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, whoa. Freedom goes down the drain. And then there are, there are lots of minefields in this world. I'm just relating a few to you. And sometimes, and some uh, uh, very good friends, rather appreciate the intensity, the seriousness of the, the, those practices. They hear that voices, but they remember they've got two ears, and the primary reason for two ears is that there is space between them, and they can... What could be taken? Come in one ear, go out the other. They can be told, this is the only way, this is the right method. Oh, come on. Bullshit. Fake news. And just quietly sit and do their meditation because they like that kind of retreat, they like that kind of course, they like that kind of ashram, and they hear all the stuff going on in one ear and out the other. They're there to do their practice, not to become zombies. And sometimes, in the exploration as well, there's all the vulnerabilities. There is a love of the formless. It is precious. Plenty of beautiful traditions uh, explore it uh, there. In this retreat, I'm going to have to say this, but I also mean it, there's plenty of opportunity to experience the form and the formless. Plenty. Sometimes with the formless, there are lovely teachers around, 
non-dual teachers, Advaita teachers and others. And who will say there is nothing to be done, there is nothing to do, you are that what you want to be already. It's a lovely message. Rather comforting, isn't it? Nothing to do, nowhere to go. This is it, you are that already. And a very famous story of ancient India, widely used in my... I once spent two and a half years in India in the 1970s when I was a monk, travelled north, south, east and uh, uh, west, listening to anybody and everybody who had anything remotely spiritual about them. Seeking and exploring and loving uh, loving it. And one of the stories which I heard in different parts of India is the story of the tenth man. Ten people were standing at the edge of the river and they decide to swim across to the other side of the river. And the uh, person counted up. Oh, ten people got to the other side of the river he went one, two, three, four, five, six seven, eight, nine. Oh my god one is missing oh dear separated them five and four seven and two eight and one <laughs> six and oh my god we've lost one and then a quiet fisherman sitting on the beach turned to the person counting and said you are the tenth man you are the one you are searching for other three so this two thousand year old story has got carried and I'm repeating it now and perhaps one or two of you uh, repeat it and so sometimes in some of the traditions it is said, forget searching and seeking and the sort. Forget looking outwardly, whoever it might be. The gurus, the teachers, the masters, the courses, the retreats, or whatever. You are the one you are uh, look, uh, looking for. And sometimes, people on retreats, outside of them as well, can have genuinely deep experiences. And in some deep experiences, the seeker says to herself or himself, not for deception, not for ego, whoa! The seeker and that which is sought have finally come together. The seeker and the sought have come together. And there is a sense of destination. There is a sense of arrival. A sense of presence in the variety uh, of ways and it happened regularly enough in listening that means Christopher uh, listening to others in retreats, in courses in conversations, in emails in one-to-ones and other uh, circumstances of a precious moment in the person's life of listening to her or him or, or them in which they've been genuinely really important significant experience and the person may say and it's a valid question I really have a sense that there is a freedom and a remarkable freedom 
and this freedom can embrace life and death it can embrace change but I don't know how deep it is understand? one can have an experience a real sense of a remarkable freedom and the happiness and the love and the joy which goes with it but I don't know how deep this freedom is two things here some people one must go carefully some people will say knowing this freedom knowing this clear bright consciousness I don't need the form anymore the form has served its purpose form has to go to be free we have to be without the form oh be careful be careful there is only the formless freedom is the formless oh be careful be careful and the person as I mentioned may say there is the significance of the precious and deep experience but I don't know how deep it is gone right now I feel extraordinarily free life generally doesn't seem to have any shadows or anything problematic about it there and it feels really expansive far bigger than my small finite being how can I know you can't no matter how significant the feeling the sensation the experience is you can't know how could the self know it might be incredibly confident and my rather simplistic response to it is give yourself a minimum of one year and one day and if after one year and one day you can put hand on heart and say this freedom has not been lost you can trust it or if you're in the east and or if you're a, a monk or a nun and you uh, experience this alone with others in the nature in the coffee shop on the retreat or whatever then start that one year and one day when you get back to the west it will surely test your liberation and your freedom it surely will that's what it does most people have been robbed of it and then told they're free so this endurance factor while we experience and practice and explore and sometimes the thought I'm using the word freedom today uh, the thought sometimes is much closer than we think and surely there are some moments in the day in our life when life isn't a problem it's not full of stress and anguish and worry quietly contentedly just getting on with our life we can sense a certain freedom to be freedom to be alone freedom to be with others to be indoors and outdoors just the everyday thing and sometimes we can just quietly stop in the moment just being quietly free human being and that small taste 
of freedom, like, to use the Buddha's analogy, the dew drop on the end of the lotus leaf. The dew drop of dew at the end of the lotus leaf. That little drop of water has the same taste as pure, clean water. In the glass, sometimes in some places in the world, in the lake. It's not that the goal is that far away. We do have a taste. The moment of freedom, the voice of God, the unexpected which reveals something and releases something. And the freedom which enables and allows us to listen, us to have a taste of freedom, have a sense of something vast and infinite and big and wonderful. All those moments are moments which express something expansive. And any deep quest must include in it, in my view, the expansive. <coughs> and when sometimes people say to me, oh, we don't need any form. I've done any method, any technique. Oh, it's just your desire to get somewhere. It's just your ego. It's just your self-interest. Plenty of us in the hall here and of course quite a few of you have known weeks, months, decades when we come and sit here and walk here for many of us, and include myself here I don't have any I don't personally have any sense oh it's my ego, I'm sitting here because I really want to get somewhere and I'm holding on to my techniques and methods which I've learned or, or whatever the reason I sit in meditation, it's really simple. I love it. I love the silence. I love the quiet moments. I appreciate the form. I don't see the form as a contraction. My relationship to the form is... I'm a free human being and I am free to explore the form. And still, our insights and our experiences and our understanding can come. And one is free as well not to use it. Why? Freedom must, quoting the Buddha here, go in all directions. As a human being, I'm, I wish to be free to explore the forms. I learn a lot. I wish to be free to have no sense of form. <coughs> Silence has no form. Love has no form. Space has no form. The vast has no form. The infinite has no form. Truth has no form. And there can be the meetings as well. So finally, in the, in the, uh, the quest, to recognize in ourselves at times the validity of the quest, the curiosity, the interest and the inquiry, to keep that vitality alive with the being, not to imagine, oh, the goal is so far away, it's so remote, it's so distant, hardly anybody gets to know it. One hears all these silly stories. It's much closer than our thought. That's all we, that's all we have to remember. Freedom is much closer than our thought. Let's have a quiet minute, shall we? Thank you for listening.
may all beings engage in the expanse of life may all beings explore the fields of human experience may all beings live with love and liberation thank you and all thank you for the uh, lovely uh, guests long-standing friends who dropped in this uh, this afternoon to uh, lend an ear time now is uh, 4.40 and the period of time for some further sitting, walking, standing in the form or the formless and then at uh, 5.30 it's the form of the food a round shape called fruit <laughs> and some chai okay there are some one-to-ones I'll be over on the lawn over there where I've been the small groups and they are ten minute periods and uh, see good names are there and I'll be over there in a couple of minutes thank you thank you